I love the theme for D now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom collective. You know, this theme is unlike any other thing in the world. Uh, God's kingdom has no limitations, no boundaries whatsoever. Now, this evening, the Super Bowl will be played. And I'm sure many of you will watch the Super Bowl, but if you'll notice something about the Super Bowl, it has a beginning, they kick it off, and then it has an ending. The horn blows and the game is over. And when that game is over, football season for this year is complete. But unlike a football game, the kingdom of God has neither a beginning nor an ending. In fact, the kingdom of God goes from eternity to eternity. The Bible consists of 66 books. It was written over a span of approximately 1,500 years by approximately 40 different authors. From beginning to end, this spirit-inspired book reveals a cohesive system of truth. God's kingdom, whether explicitly or implicitly, serves as a connecting link to everything written within the sacred pages of the Word of God. So I want you to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, and today in a culmination of this wonderful weekend, I want to speak on this subject, the King and his kingdom. Now, we're going to draw attention especially to verses 13 and 14, but I want you to get a little background for this text. Daniel received this vision, this dream from God in the, the year of Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was a wicked king. And the children of Israel were in Babylonian bondage. They'd been exiled to Babylon because they failed to keep their covenant with God. Things seemed dark and hopeless for them. Their temple had been demolished. Their walls had been smashed. There was no king to lead them. And living in captivity was very hard. So the situation was dire when God gave Daniel this important vision dream. Notice verse 1 of chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Now, in this, in this dream, Daniel receives a panoramic view of future history. In fact, God reveals to Daniel the four major empires that would arise on planet earth. You say, well, how would God know the future? Well, he's God. God knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He knows how many hair you have on your head, the Bible says. He knows everything. So God revealed to Daniel that the first major empire that would arise on planet Earth would be the empire of Babylon. The, the second major empire 
would be the empire, the Medo-Persians. And the third one would be the empire of Greece. And the fourth one would be the empire of Rome. Rome. It even included in this amazing prophetic chapter a reference to the Antichrist who would become the ruler of the world in the revived Roman Empire of the last days. All of that God revealed to Daniel. Now, if there's one thing that would convince me that the Bible is absolutely true without mixture of error, it would be the fact that it includes prophetic material that was written hundreds of years before they were realized. In fact, this book of Daniel was written approximately 500 years before Jesus was incarnated. In our time, that's over 2,500 years ago. And God knew everything and he revealed it. And I'll tell you, this gives me confidence that the word of God is truth without mixture of error. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 9. The Bible says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the ancient of days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were open. Then I looked, kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. That's speaking of the Antichrist who's coming. He may be alive today. I don't know. He may be alive. But I'll tell you, the Antichrist will be the most wicked person that's ever walked on the face of this planet. And the Antichrist will speak boastful words against God and boastful words against the kingdom of God and the people of God. And then the Bible goes on to say, I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Now I want you to notice here that God is referred to as the ancient of days. You say, what a strange name for God. We know that God is called Yahweh. We know that God is called the Most High. He has many different names in the Bible, El Shaddai, many different names. But here he's referred to as the Ancient of Days, and this refers to God's eternal nature. Notice he's seated on a throne. This pictures his sovereignty. Notice his vesture was like white snow, which pictures his holiness. God is holy, holy, holy. And then notice his hair was like pure wool. This speaks of God's infinite wisdom. And his throne was ablaze with flames. This speaks of the judgment of God. One day, the Bible says that God is going to judge this world. He's going to judge the world. And we need to be ready when that day comes, notice his attendance and his audience were myriads and myriads. And this speaks of his deity. This is the most high God in all his glory. Now, listen, I want to direct your attention now to verses 13 and 14. 
They are so important. The first thing I would have you notice in verse 13 is the presentation of the king. In verse 13, the Bible says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now, Daniel watched in awe as one like a son of man descended into the very throne room of God the Father. He was surrounded by the clouds of heaven. Who is this? And what does this mean? Well, clouds were often associated with deity in the ancient world. This being, this, this one called the son of man, was no mere mortal. He was fully God. And he was fully human. There's only one person in all of history that this could possibly be. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 verses 1 and 14, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Listen, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this person described here in chapter 7 verse 13 of Daniel who would show up 500 years later in his incarnation was to be fully God and fully man. He's, his designation is the son of man. Now this was Jesus' favorite name for himself when he came 500 years later. In fact, this term is used 81 times in the four Gospels referring to Jesus. When Caiaphas, the high priest, was about to sentence Jesus to death on the cross, this conversation, this dialogue took place between Jesus and Caiaphas. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64, the Bible says, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see, listen, this is what Jesus said. You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This was his way of saying, I want you to know, Caiaphas, you're the high priest. You're, you're the grand poopa of all of Judaism. And I want you to know that I am the one that Daniel was talking about in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I'm that one. So here is the presentation of the king. Secondly, I want you to see the coronation of the king. In verse 14, the Bible says, and to him, that's the son of man who's coming with the clouds and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now consider his dominion for just a moment. The son of man that Daniel refers right to right here in chapter seven, verse 13 and 14 is to be the final king over all the earth and all of creation. The word dominion can also be translated as authority. 
when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said this to his disciples. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to all of us in this room who are believers, I want you to know that I have total sovereignty and dominion and authority over every person on this planet, over every ruler, over every king, over every president, over every leader of the world today. Jesus has ultimate authority and dominion. Consider his glory. The Bible says, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now, to give glory to someone means to recognize the importance of Jesus and the weightiness that he carries in the spiritual realm. And then consider his kingdom. The Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man a kingdom. Now, this is no ordinary kingdom. In fact, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is universal. It is unending. It is unconquerable. No one can take this kingdom away from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the king and his kingdom are inseparable. And I want every teenager and every adult in this room to understand the wonder and glory of this amazing king and his kingdom. We've seen the presentation of the king and the coronation of the king. Now I want you to see the celebration of the king. In verse 14, the Bible says, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Notice this, that all the peoples, now teenagers, you know what all the peoples mean? That means every person on the face of the earth who's ever existed, including now and before, everyone. And all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Every person on the face of this planet who has ever lived and is living at the time that Jesus comes will bow their knee to Jesus, King Jesus, and give him glory and honor, the glory and honor that only he deserves. Here's how Paul described it in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. I know that A.J. preached to you out of Philippians 3, but if you back up just a moment to Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says this. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. What is that reason, teenagers? It's because Jesus, the son of God, the son of man, was willing to go to the cross and die for your sins so that you could be forgiven and have the wonderful gift of eternal life. So he's been given the name which is above every name. And the Bible says, so that at the name of Jesus, listen, listen, teenagers, are you listening? Look at me, look at me. Are you listening? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Well, you say, well, what about my friend who's an atheist? What about my friend who is an agnostic? What about my friend who has totally 
denied the possibility of there even being a God. Will, will my friend bow the knee to Jesus? Yes. Yes. Because the Bible goes on to say here in Philippians chapter 2, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Even those who are in hell will bow the knee to Jesus as their king. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Are you telling me, Pastor, that even people who worship other gods and people who are involved in other religions, will they bow the knee to Jesus? Will they proclaim and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the celebration of the king. You say, I want you to understand something, young people. You can choose your king, but you better make sure that your king is Jesus. Now, see, for some of you, your king is yourself. And everything revolves around what you declare and what you uh, deem to be important in your life. But I'm telling you, young people, listen to me very carefully. You better choose your king wisely. You better believe in Jesus. You better receive him and bow your knee to him and confess him as your Lord and your Savior. Because Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you do, regardless of where you end up in eternity, I'm telling you, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then we read in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, about a celebration that takes place in heaven. Even in heaven for all of eternity, the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, will be celebrated. The Bible says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. They fell down and worshiped Jesus, the king. They celebrated his kingdom. Billy Graham wrote this. He said, all through his life, Christ acted like a king. He spoke with authority. He made demands upon people's consciences. He denounced bigotry, hypocrisy, and greed. He denounced immorality and dishonesty and lawlessness. He spoke often of his coming kingdom and he recruited followers. His conduct was regal and his ethics were kingly. I know that as young people, you're looking for a God. You're looking for a leader who is authentic. You're looking for authenticity. You're looking for someone who is not full of hypocrisy. You're looking for someone who is just 
You're looking for someone who is fair. And young people, listen, the one you're looking for is King Jesus because he is all that and more. Well, he is the most powerful ruler that's ever existed. He is the wisest ruler that has ever existed. He is the most influential ruler that has ever existed. He is the most just ruler that has ever existed. He is the most gracious ruler that has ever existed. And he is the most merciful ruler that has ever existed. How could we not want to be a part of his kingdom? Seriously. Can you think of a better king? Can you think of a better kingdom? I can't. Now, here's a timeless truth I want to drop in your heart this morning, young people. God's kingdom is everything. Say that with me. Young people, say that. God's kingdom is everything. Y'all did better for Anna. My goodness. Let's say it again. God's kingdom is everything. I mean, it's everything. Listen to me very carefully. It's more important than your happiness. The kingdom of God is more important than your happiness, your popularity, and even your safety. The kingdom of God is more important than your social media activity, your athletic ability, your academic achievement, and your musical ability. It's more important than your career, your finances, and your vacations if you're an adult. Nothing in this life is more important than the king, King Jesus, and the kingdom that he represents. It is a present reality, and it will be an eternal reality when he comes again. By the way, the Bible says this in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, now listen to this, young people. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. You see, his kingdom is an enduring kingdom. It will never come to an end. Listen, the kingdoms of this world, like the United States and Russia and China, all of these kingdoms are going to come to an end. All of these empires are going to come to an end one day. But the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will last forever. So I ask you a question. Now I'm just about through, so I want you to pay attention. Are you in the kingdom? Young people, adults, are you in the kingdom? Oh, you may say, well, pastor, I believed in Jesus. I was even baptized. But here's the deal. Is he your king? Is he your king? Have you surrendered your will to him? Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He paid an awful price so that you would have the shot of being forgiven and so that you would have a chance to be a part of his kingdom. He's alive, young people. He was raised from the dead. And he wants you to be a saved. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. So will you pray this prayer this morning? Now listen, if you want to pray this prayer, and if you mean it in your heart, you can be a part of his kingdom. But you can, this is not a game. It's not a game. 
This is not some kind of religious checklist. Because our checklist means absolutely nothing to the king. Nothing. You see, he has a book in heaven. It's called the book of life. And those who are a part of his kingdom through faith in him have their names written in the book of life. And those who are written in the book of life will one day live with him in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. But those who na whose names are not in the book of life will be separated from King Jesus forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. So I'm asking you young people, I'm asking you if you're an adult in this room today. If you're not a part of the kingdom, do you want to be a part of his kingdom? I can't, honestly, I can't think of a better kingdom to be a part of. I can't think of a better king to bow your knee to and declare your allegiance to than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So now, if, I want everybody to bow your head for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, if you want to be a part of his kingdom, and you really mean it in your heart, pray this in your heart. Just pray it in your heart, but you've got to mean it. Pray this, Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I'm a sinner Today, I'm willing to turn from my selfish and sinful ways. By faith, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my king, as my savior and my Lord. Lord Jesus, today, I give my allegiance to you. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for accepting me into your kingdom. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Now look at me. Wherever you are in this room, if you pray that prayer and you really meant it in your heart, in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship. And I'm going to invite you to come to one of your leaders. They'll be down front here. And, and you just tell them, today I have prayed that prayer. Today I've received Jesus as my king. I've declared my allegiance to him and to him alone. Our staff will be here. Some of your leaders will be here. You come and you just tell them that today, Jesus is my king. I'm a part of his kingdom and I want everybody to know it. Now listen, if you're already in the kingdom, I've got another question. Are you living like a kingdom believer? You see, being a member of Christ's king, kingdom means something. It re listen, it really means something. What does it mean? It means that your expectations will change. Do you realize in the Bible, in God's holy word, there are so many promises to those who believe in Jesus and to those who are part of his kingdom. 
Well, in Daniel chapter 7, three different times in Daniel chapter 7, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says at some point in the future, God is going to give the kingdom not only to Jesus, but he's going to give the kingdom to those who follow Jesus. And we get to reign with him forever and ever. We get to serve him forever and ever. I can't think of a better way to spend eternity. Can you? Are you living with a higher expectation? Listen, the things of this world are like dung compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. You heard that from AJ this weekend. So what does it mean to be a, a kingdom believer? Remember, it means something. It means that, number two, you will embrace kingdom values. Those kingdom values can be found in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in the Beatitudes. It means that you embrace them. And you choose not to live the way the world lives, but you choose to live in such a way that Jesus, your king, is glorified. And number three, you will adopt a kingdom priority. You know what Jesus said? He said to those who are part of his kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all this other stuff will be added to you. You don't have to worry about what you eat. You don't have to worry about what you wear. You don't have to worry about shelter. All that stuff will be added to you if you seek first his kingdom. See, that's what you do if you're a part of his kingdom. And then finally, you will live with kingdom purpose. Listen, if you're really a kingdom believer and you really believe that the kingdom of God is all that matters, it's the most important thing in the world, it means that knowing Christ and making him known to your friends and your relatives, your neighbors and your acquaintances will be the most important thing in your life. Because without Christ, nobody, nobody, will go to heaven. Jesus made this audacious statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Hey, young people, I've, I've said something to you today, and we've let everybody else listen in. It's just as important for them as it is you. Here, here it is. God's kingdom is everything. Let's say it again, everybody. God's kingdom is everything. It's everything. Nothing matters in comparison to his kingdom. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm going to ask our staff to come, our leaders to come. And, and I want you to do what God leads you to do today. Some of you may have prayed that prayer. And you meant it in your heart. You need to come to one of the, the staff members here at the front and you need to tell them that today you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that you declared your allegiance to him. I encourage you to come. And then maybe you're here today and you are in the kingdom, but you haven't been living like a kingdom believer. Maybe you want to come to the altar and just bow the knee to King Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, help me to live with a higher set of expectations. Help me to live in such a way that I embrace your kingdom values. Help me to live and adopt your kingdom priority and help me to live with a kingdom purpose. Just bow your knee to King Jesus and pray.
I promise you, if you pray that, that's a prayer he will answer. Let's, let's, let me pray and we'll stand and worship. Father, in the name of Jesus, have your way in our heart. Oh, Jesus, you are our king. Your kingdom is everything. And we bless you and praise you this morning. May you be honored and glorified by what we do in the next few moments. In Jesus' name.